my photography had brought me immense wealth of respect from other people, but at the same time, it has to be divided by the sorrow that came with it. It was a legacy I didn't particularly invite, but you could say I brought it upon myself, really. If someone says war photography, you might think about the striking photos of the shell-shocked US Marine in Vietnam. Well, the photographer behind that image was Don McCullen, and on this Ponder Extra, Rob and I visit the Tate Britain for a retrospective of his legendary career as a war photographer, as well as his iconic war photographs, including images from Vietnam, Congo, Northern Ireland, and more recently from Syria. The exhibition also looks at the work he did at home in England, recording scenes of poverty and working-class life in London's East End and the Industrial North. It also includes his landscapes and still-life photos, what must have been the photographic hinterland he saw in between assignments in war zones. With over 250 photographs, all printed by McCullen himself in his own darkroom, this exhibition is not one to miss. It's on until the 6th of May and well worth the £18. If you did GCSEs in the UK, you'll no doubt remember the poem War Photographer by Caroline Duffy. In a nod to Miss Pike, my English teacher, circa 2009, I asked Megan to read it for us. In his dark room, he is finally alone, with spools of suffering set out in ordered rows. The only light is red and softly glows, as though this were a church and he a priest preparing to intone a mass. Belfast, Beirut, Venampeng, all flesh is grass. He has a job to do. Solutions slop in trays beneath his hands, which did not tremble then. Though same to now, rural England, home again, to ordinary pain which simple weather can dispel to fields which don't explode beneath the feet of running children in a nightmare heat. Something is happening. A stranger's features faintly start to twist before his eyes, a half-formed ghost. He remembers the cries of this man's wife, how he sought approval without words to do what someone must and how the blood stained into foreign dust. A hundred agonies in black and white from which his editor will pick five or six for Sunday supplement. The reader's eyeballs prick with tears beneath the bath and pre-lunch beers. From the airplane he stares impassively at where he earns his living and they do not care. This is Ponder and we've come to Tate Britain to see the highly acclaimed exhibition of photography by Don McCullen. Don McCullen's widely known as a war photographer, but that's not all he does. He takes photographs of still life, landscape, and British life, but all of them are endowed with a kind of poetic poignancy that shows the human condition, really. And we've been wondering a little about what it must be like to be predominantly a portrayer of human suffering for 60 years. He was first noticed by the observer in 1959 and since then has been working as a war photographer um, abroad and coming back to seek respite from the landscapes in, in the UK and to escape the horrors that he must have seen and captured. So Don McCullen says photography for me is not looking, it's feeling. If you can't feel what you're looking at, then you're never going to get others to feel anything when they look at your pictures. So let's go in and see what we can see and feel.
So Don McLaren's life started as it meant to go on, I suppose. He was born in Finsbury Park in a neighbourhood that was still in partial ruins after being bombed by the Second World War. And Don McCullough remembers the childhood of poverty, bigotry and violence. His father died when he was quite young of chronic illness um, and it affected him deeply and he was forced to leave school um, in order to work to support his family. So much of his early work was made in and around the streets in which he grew up in North London. There was even a particularly vicious street gang called the Governors who uh, habituated the streets in North London and some of the early photographs in the first room of this exhibition show the governors and scary looking bunch they are too and in fact his photography of the governors was the first major piece to be picked up by the observer and i suppose that gang made him famous yeah so this is the photograph from 1958 and the governors look like they're modeling for burton i don't know if it's finsley park in 1958 or a burberry shoot in 2019 (laughs) it's quite extraordinary isn't it to think of street gangs being so well dressed they're in uh, immaculate suits and ties hovering around a bombed out building. These days you'd think you've been approached by a bunch of estate agents or bankers. He writes, tragically one night there was a serious gang clash in Finsbury Park. A policeman came to stop it and someone knifed him in the back. He died on the pavement at the bottom of Font Hill Road where I lived. A few months before I'd taken a photograph of the boys I went to school with in a derelict bomb damaged building at the end of my street. As these events were unfolding, people at my office in Mayfair who'd already seen this photograph told me to take it to the Observer. They welcomed me with open arms. The picture editor said to me, Did you take this photo? Will you do more? I said yes. Yes, I will. And I did just that. We're now looking at a photo of a pair of young boys boxing near the Caledonian Road in London. Uh, In fact, I used to live in the Calais Road in London and I'm pretty sure there are new iterations of the same boys boxing Look at this one. Sheep going to the slaughterhouse early morning near Caledonian Road. It's a fantastic image of a herd of sheep being marched down the road to meet their doom. I think I can see exactly where that is. That's just behind King's Cross, the kind of new coal drops yard, Granary Square development, which is now this luxury housing development. And what a contrast. You would never see sheep <laughs> walking down that road now. <laughs> This first room really gives you a glimpse of London in the early 1960s. Seems a time of civil unrest, ban the bomb marches, anti-fascist demonstrators protesting at National Socialist Party rallies, and the faces are so crisply printed that it's just the expression and the humanity is so strongly felt. There's a brilliant one here of a couple of policemen carrying a middle-aged woman in a coat and bonnet and uh, she's just staring back at Don McCullen's camera with such poise and calm as she's carted away by two bobbies. This reminds me of my mother telling me that London in those days was so smoggy that when you got home at the end of the day and blew your nose, thick black soot would come out onto your handkerchief. It's a very different kind of London although the sentiments that drive people to protest against injustice are still very much apparent on the streets of London. Although spend half an hour on the northern line and blow your nose and you might, you might be transported back. <laughs> so the room we're now in uh, documents McCullen's travels to Germany in 1961. Um, in which he really saw a piece of history quite literally being built as he saw the East Germans drilling the foundations and building the Berlin Wall breeze block by breeze block. 
We have lived in the shadow of the wall for more than a year. It cuts through the heart of Berlin. We have learned to live with it. We refuse to think that it will always be this way. In the beginning, we waved across the wall to our families in East Berlin. It didn't matter who watched us, but later... This is really quite interesting for me because in 1989, I went to Berlin to see the Berlin Wall being removed breeze block by breeze block. So this is the beginning of a process that uh, saw so many people separated and indeed people killed trying to escape over into the West. And there was McCullen with his faithful roly cord camera recording the moment of building the wall. In these photos we see the uneasy coexistence of military occupation with everyday life and it was these photos that really shot him to, to real stardom as a photographer as he won a British press award and a permanent contract to the Observer despite having to pay his own travel costs and not being sponsored to take any of these photos at the time. It's just extraordinary actually when you think about what Berlin had gone through in the Second World War and what the whole of Europe had gone through. And that war was fought in order to liberate Europe from tyranny. And then within a matter of 15, 16 years, there was a war going up to separate the East Bloc from the Western freedoms. And you just look at these pictures and you see soldiers in tanks parading down Friedrichstrasse in Berlin thinking, well, it was only 15 to 20 years earlier that those tanks were carrying Nazi symbols. I guess it also helps us think about how arbitrary that divide really was. And how impermanent these things are, because, you know, 28 years later the wall came down and people were reunited. And we think of them as so fixed, but really we understand how porous they are, but just the ones that have been there longer, we seem to think of them as utterly impenetrable and without looking at the captions of the photos it's difficult to know whether you're looking at East or West Berlin We also have here the most extraordinary collection of images of the Biafran conflict in 1968 these really are quite disturbing very very powerful and McCullen himself said it was beyond war, it was beyond journalism, it was beyond photography, but not beyond politics. We cannot, must not be allowed to forget the appalling things we are all capable of doing to our fellow human beings. There's a particularly touching image here of a 16-year-old girl called Patience. And you just look at this girl, clearly starving, this sort of yearning, beseeching quality in her eyes. Posed, though, with such dignity, almost like a photo you might have taken at school with your hands on your lap. There's a particular photo where I wonder where these children are now of a group of seven children stood together with what looks like a, just a white piece of paper stuck to their head, just standing there, and the caption is, those chosen to live. I guess the question is, to what? Live live to what, what was to come afterwards, live for what, because inevitably civil war was followed by famine and extreme hardship. We're now in a room of images that made Don McCullen famous, his depiction of the Vietnam they, uh, War. You can't reach those big guns and they just keep dropping in, there's nothing you can do. It's like being a big bullseye on top of a hill. 
and uh, you're just sitting there waiting. You can't be safe, you can be lucky. That's it. You can't be safe, you can be lucky. That's it. Stuff landing all over, bouncing off you, and you're just as scared every time. Those Marines are talking about a place named Contien. An obscure American outpost in Vietnam. And it was a very important phenomenon of the time that photography was so prevalent and journalists were so prevalent in documenting this war. It was the first time that this kind of documentation was, was causing widespread protest. I mean, you had artists commissioned by governments in the First and Second World Wars to paint the war but I suppose really they were there to, to carry out a task commissioned by their nation. And this was really the first time, I guess, that he was going and trying to document the reality experienced by the civilians and the soldiers, and it was that that really caused the Stop the War protests. Yes, something about the immediacy of photography as well, that this isn't a studied work of drawn or painted art. This is immediate, instant capturing of reality which can then be beamed across the world in seconds and shown to readers of newspapers and magazines. We're looking now at, well, what was certainly the first photograph of McCullens that I ever saw, and it's of the shell-shocked US Marine, and McCullen describes how he took several frames of this man, but not once did he blink, he just stared blankly at the camera. I'm really taken by this other picture of a US Marine inside a civilian house. And you've got this very domesticated scene and a portrait of a husband and wife lying on the floor. And somehow their privacy, their home has been taken over by this carnage and chaos. It's very interesting as we move into the next room, which is a selection of photographs that Don McCullen took in the East End in the 1960s and early 70s how he brings that same kind of photographic sensibility and tender-heartedness from the war zone to the east end of London. London so. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner that I think of her wherever I go. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner that I love London. Psychiatric hospitals had been emptied out into the streets and people were living in the most appalling of conditions. But the way he focuses in on people's faces and their hands and their surroundings and the greyness and bleakness of their lives, it's almost like it's another war zone, although this is London. It's a social war. Mm. I suppose that's, that's a very interesting thing he does. He, he documents the a woman's hands over a long period of time. He describes how he feels that it was capitalism and really capitalism is what closes institutions and he documents the effects of capitalism on those most vulnerable through photographing their hands. We're coming now to the end of the Don McCullen show at Tate Britain and it's a kind of relentless ordeal almost, this exhibition. In fact, this final room is so refreshing to see the ruined buildings of the Roman Empire that Don McCullen's been taking pictures of after decades and decades of turbulent war zones. After a lifetime of war, Don McCullen says he's now sentenced himself to peace. And uh, the landscapes of Somerset, Scotland and Northumberland have been his focus in recent years. 
and you can see finally there's a sense of tranquility here, well-deserved tranquility. It's fascinating that um, the exhibition ends with the study of the Roman Empire that McCullen was so interested in, looking at an empire of 2,000 years ago that was ultimately built on brutality and slavery too. I suppose it helps us reflect that these eras, they come and go. And ultimately the era of suffering that McCullen spent his life documenting will also be maybe the study of a photographer 2,000 years from now who will look back and think about it as a an abstract part of history. To us now, looking at those photos, they're full of such humanity, but we look at the, the ruins of Roman buildings and they seem to us just a sort of eclectic part of history. But for these two people, died and suffered... And it's fascinating to think about how history moves on. And also just this notion that we think of the great Roman emperors, the great civilizations, the Egyptian pharaohs, the Greek congresses. What's left of those civilizations are just pillars and columns in the desert and ruins and people who exert such power and such authority over others' lives and are the cause of so much suffering and pain are gone. And you look at all of these people in these photographs who've come and gone over the last five decades and you wonder what they could have become had they not been at the mercy of power-crazed leaders intent on exerting their authority over others and expanding their own particular corner of the world for personal gain. So the very last six images that one sees in this exhibition are of still life. Mushrooms, apples, bronze statues, just arranged in clusters on slabs of stone. And it's interesting that they feel like memorials, don't they? They feel like memorials to all of the people we've seen throughout this exhibition who've given their lives in conflict and something just impermanent and organic and yet at the same time preserved forever. There's a, a massive amount of contradiction swimming around in me, confusion. You know, there's not a great deal of room for joy. I do sound rather kind of damaged. When I go into the dark room, I'm totally in my own kind of territory, you know, somewhere I can control, and I do control, you know. I, I have a tendency, naturally, to take my prints darker and darker, even my landscapes. I need nothing in that dark room but the opportunity, you know, to drop a few sheets of paper in the developer, listen to classical music, and I feel as if I've levitated myself away from all the evils of the world. Sadly, only be only to be reminded if I'm printing those war pictures, which I try to avoid doing so these days. You know, I have some very bad days to think about. And it's only my landscape days that are saving me, really. And even they're dark. I have to find the sunshine in the last piece of twilight in my life, you know. I've always been afraid of the sun because it is a damaging thing, but at the same time I don't want my photographs to look like chocolate box covers. You know, I want my photographs to have... I don't want you to forget them.